Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, the Border Basin Solar Project near Arcadia has taken a major step forward with an agreement between the developers and the county on future tax revenue. We'll have details. Also this morning, because people are more important than the mistakes they have made, locally the stories of Welcome to a New Life prove that it's possible to give a second chance to those who want it. In our ongoing Keeping the Faith series, it's easy to get caught up in the hustle of trying to get ahead in business and in life. But what are we missing in the elusive search for more? And nationally, blood donations have dipped to their lowest level this year. The American Red Cross is sounding the alarm about a critical shortage. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Wednesday, September 29th, 2021. Today is uh, National Coffee Day, so if you are not quite awake yet, go ahead and have that uh, extra cup of joe, National Coffee Day today. It is also Broadway Musicals Day, so if you are the type of person who will randomly and for no apparent reason break out into song, today is your day, Broadway Musicals Day. It is Confucius Day, Confucius say it is also Goose Day. Uh, I would imagine uh, Goose celebrating the bird, not the uh, activity. You don't want to goose someone today. Uh, You're celebrating the goose. Or you can do whatever you want, I suppose. National Attend Your Grandchild's Birthday Day, which is great unless it is not, in fact, your grandchild's birthday. So that's... uh, one of the risks you run is to assigning a specific day to that. National Mocha Day, National World, National World Heart Day, World Heart Day, and it is VFW Day today as well. So happy, happy day to the veterans of foreign wars. So um, this is crazy. I, I saw this story on the uh, Newswire. It's one of the uh, big news stories of the day. Uh, apparently... They are the U.S. Postal Service is uh, adjusting its um, standard of service. And I think during the uh, pandemic, a lot of folks have been experiencing slower mail delivery. And it's about to get even worse for some types of mail and temporarily anyway, more expensive ahead of the holiday season. The U.S. Postal Service said yesterday that. Starting this Friday, the 1st of October, first-class mail and periodicals traveling long distances uh, in the U.S., such as from New York to California, will take longer to arrive. Uh, Mail within the same region will still have a two-day delivery time frame. First-class packages will also no longer have the same delivery standards as first-class mail. So packages of mail will be treated differently. Additionally, prices will be temporarily increased for the holiday season from October 3rd through December 26th on all commercial and retail domestic packages. The changes are being made as part of a 10-year plan announced by Postmaster General Louis Joy back in March. Uh, and I'm not sure exactly <laughs> what to make of this. I mean... Obviously, we know that the Postal Service has been struggling uh, in recent years. And so somehow somebody thought, hey, here's what will fix 
the here's what will fix the mail. Let's make it slower and more expensive. That'll fix it. That'll <laughs> that'll make things better. I'll make it slower and more expensive and be just fine. It's almost like they think they have no competition. I don't I don't know. But anyways, that's uh, one of the uh, big stories of the day. Some of the other uh, most interesting and buzzworthy stories uh, worth knowing to start off your Wednesday morning. Um, have you seen these in, in stores? Pokemon Oreos are on store shelves. Have you seen these? If you've been to the grocery, you may have uh, noticed Pokemon Oreo collection rolled out in stores earlier this month. And just like all things Pokemon, there are collectors out there uh, who uh, want to catch them all. Isn't that the catchphrase for Pokemon? I'm not into the Pokemon thing, but I think uh, if I'm if I'm right, that's the buzzword for uh, Pokemon. Catch them all. And uh, that is apparently what people are doing and opening up their pocketbooks. Uh, The. Pokemon Oreo collection features different characters from the popular video game, and like the game, some Pokemon are harder to find than others. The rare Pokemon Mew has been found on eBay. This is a Pokemon Oreo, mind you. Um, has been found on eBay going for as much as $10,000. While the cookies themselves taste no different than your regular Oreo, the pocket monster themed snacks uh, have been all the rage on social media. And uh, the rarest of the rare Pokemon Oreos are going for 10K on eBay. At least that's, that's the asking price. I don't know what they've actually sold for. I mean, you can ask whatever you want, but uh, it just says here. They've been going, they've been found on eBay going for as much as $10,000, which implies to me that that is the asking price. Whether any have actually sold for that price is something else entirely. But just that folks are asking that amount of money for Pokemon Oreos uh, says something, I think, about the crazy. The list of the world's best airlines is out. Skytrax announced its annual ranking of the world's airline industry. Uh, Qatar Airways, the state-owned Doha airline chain, is number one in the world's best airline for the sixth time. Singapore Airlines named the second best airline in the world with uh, ANA, all Nippon Airways, coming in third place. And uh, there is no American-based airline in the top 10 this year. So just throw that out there. I don't know if you've ever uh, flown on uh, Qatar Airways. Number one airline in the world, apparently. All right. I'll take your word for it. And a couple of other uh, items here among the first things you need to know this morning. A number of legendary movie and TV props are hitting the auction block. This is pretty cool. The prop store is hosting a massive auction um, of memorabilia, including 
Freddy Krueger's razor glove from the 1987 film A Nightmare on Elm Street 3. That's expected to go for as much as 41 grand. Will Ferrell's elf costume from the 2009 movie Elf also expected to go for upwards of 41 grand. And I'm thinking that may be a conservative estimate. And it's, people just love that movie. And I th- you know, Elf is one of those, I liked it. I thought it was a cute movie. Uh, I don't know that I would consider it the Christmas classic that many people do for whatever reason. I thought it was a cute film. It was funny. But, uh, I mean, if I go a, a Christmas season and I don't see Elf, I'm not heartbroken. Some people are. I did. But anyway, I can see the Elf costume, Will Ferrell's Elf costume, going for a lot more than $41,000. We'll see. A screen-matched uh, Wilson prop from the movie Castaway with Tom Hanks, you know, where he uh, takes to talking to the volleyball named Wilson. Uh, that... Uh, that prop uh, could go for as much as $83,000, they are estimating. So they're selling that. The auction will uh, run from November 9th through the 11th. So it is coming up in about a month or so. And that's just a, a small sampling. This is a huge list of, I mean, I was looking at uh, a longer list, and it just went on and on and on. And I don't even know if that was the entire list. It's a huge collection of legendary movie and TV props by the prop store. They say all in all, it could bring in somewhere around $8 million. So uh, if you're looking for a Christmas gift for that hard to buy person on your list, <laughs> there you go. Some of these uh, are, are ab- obviously high dollar items. And then there are some that are less expensive that actually might be kind of cool, cool for the average person to own. So anyway, uh, it is the uh, Prop Store um, Memorabilia Auction runs November 9th through the 11th. So just a very narrow three-day window next month. And I would imagine if you Google it online, you can probably find the entire list of uh, stuff that's being sold if you're interested in such things. And uh, finally, among the first things you need to know this morning, because we always have some, have to have something to be worried about. There's always got to be a story about the end of civilization as we know it. And uh, here is today's researchers have found environmentally damaging levels of illegal drugs in a river running through the Glastonbury Festival in uh, in Wales, the Glastonbury Festival. Is that a like a big music festival in uh, in Wales, I believe? So uh, anyway, the uh, the festival happens uh, every year, and researchers at Bangor University in Wales determined that concentrations of MDMA, MDMA in the water in this uh, river that runs right through the festival grounds quadrupled the week after the 2019 festival, which was attended by more than 200,000 revelers. 200,000. And the reason why they say they have found these high concentrations of illegal drugs, uh, cocaine concentrations had reached a threshold uh, previous. And this is why this is concerning, because the concentration of cocaine in, in the river 
uh, reached the threshold previously shown to harm critically endangered European eels, which live in the river. So they're actually <laughs> they're actually harming wildlife. The uh, levels of uh, concentration of illegal drugs. And it's all because members of the uh, public attending the festival have been relieving themselves <laughs> in, the, in the river. <laughs> hey, well, you, when you have to go, you have to go. And uh, they've been relieving themselves in the river. And obviously, the uh, festival famous for its debauchery um, the, uh, is causing environmental issues. The lead scientist in the study, Christian Dunn, says even though the levels were high, they declined pretty quickly after the festival had had closed up, had finished. He said the study drove home a reason to halt public urination, calling it a pollutant that we're only really now becoming the aware uh, aware of its uh, of its scope. <laughs> So if you think you uh, you know relieve yourself in public, it's not hurting anyone. <laughs> think again. Apparently, it's it's going to be the destruction of all civilization. Apparently, there you go. Uh, some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Wednesday morning started. I'm Dave James on the Ohio News Network. An Ohio Senate committee today is expected to consider Senate Bill 123, also known as the Human Rights Protection Act. Kevin Landers with Owen and Affiliate WBNS-TV in Columbus reports. The legislation is a ban on abortions which would take effect when the United States Supreme Court overturns Roe v. Wade and would allow for wrongful death civil action against a physician or anyone who performs an abortion. The legislation would apply felony penalties to abortionists while also providing immunity for women upon whom illegal abortions are performed. State Senators Christina Rogner, a Republican from Hudson, and Sandra O'Brien, a Republican from Ashtabula, are co-sponsored sponsors of the bill and both declined interviews. Yesterday, protesters, including Marla Davis, managed to gain entry into the Senate chamber after lawmakers had just adjourned. I believe the abortion bans are wrong and that every person that gets pregnant has the right to do what they want with their bodies and that's a decision that they should make with their doctors and that no lawmakers should get involved with that. State patrol officers escorted the protesters from the Senate. In Washington, a federal government shutdown looms as lawmakers face off on the debt seal Social security benefits would continue if that happens, but for new enrollees, benefit verification and the issuance of social security cards would stop. SNAP benefits, or food stamps, would continue for at least a month. I'm Dave James on the Ohio News Network. The Border Basin Solar Project near Arcadia has taken a major step forward. An agreement has been reached between the developers and uh, Hancock County Commissioners. We are joined this morning by Economic Development Director Tim Miley and the Project Development Director for Galehead Development, the uh, uh, entity behind the Border Basin Solar Project, Ben Metcalf. And Ben, let me start with you, actually, uh, on this. Kind of go back to the beginning. Why this site for this project? I mean, what led you to Arcadia, Ohio, of all places? Well, <clears throat> anytime when you're, uh, when you're siting power infrastructure, one of the most important aspects is the transmission lines um, and load. And Ohio is, uh, has a rich history of uh, industry and uh, business, and there's a lot of uh, power lines in the area and a lot of load and industry in the area. And so we were looking for that intersection where there was a thousand to two thousand acres with a single landowner that was uh, 
and away from population centers and in an area where it was appropriate to the grid where we could plug in in a cost-effective, safe, and reliable way. And that all pointed towards uh, um, Hancock County. When you talk about uh, the the uh, demand, uh, is this all power that is going to be generated that, that will be used locally? I mean, how does that work? Again, this is something that you know, is uh, complicated for a lot of folks to understand. Well, the tax dollars will be local, I can Mm -hmm. tell you that. And the power, once it gets on, it will go um, physics. So it will go into the high-voltage transmission system, just like any other power plant. Just like any other power plant would be. Um, So we talk about the the arrangement. The agreement you have reached with the county is what's known as a payment in lieu of taxes, or pilot arrangement, which is used in a couple of different situations that are relative to uh, Border Basin. Uh, when a major project is built on land that the developer doesn't actually own, which is, in your case, you are leasing this land uh, in a long-term lease. And then when a developer and a taxation authority recognize a mutual benefit to a project and then compromise on the revenue, it would be less than perhaps the full tax amount, but more than a full tax abatement. So absent this agreement, what happens? Does this project move forward if this agreement isn't in place? Uh, absolutely, it does. But this... What this does, it provides certainty for uh, the project and for long-term financing, but it also provides a material benefit to the community. Um, this law was envisioned, in, or our pilot agreement is under Ohio state law. Mm-hmm. And the great thing that it does is that, um, importantly, the tax doesn't increase the wealth of the school districts, so all the tax money that's coming to the schools is truly incremental. And that's one of the uh, biggest benefits to the pilot. Does this agreement cover the life of the project, or is this something that will be revisited periodically? No, it, it uh, covers the life of the project, so it would only change if Ohio State law changes. And what what is the uh, when does this begin? What is kind of the timeline for the entire project? So our target is to begin commercial operations by the end of 2023 and begin construction um, sometime late 2022. Um, that will all be driven by uh, the transmission operator and their construction schedule. And they're finalizing the, our final uh, engineering study right now, which we expect um, either in the end of the year or the beginning of next year. Let me uh, bring uh, Tim into, into the conversation here. And actually, I threw this out for, for both of you. Uh, the, the premise of the, the pilot, Ben, as you uh, alluded to, is that both sides uh, will benefit uh, from it. What is the upside for Hancock County? Sure. Morning, Chris. Thanks for having us. So just exactly as Ben said, it brings certainty and it also brings incremental money. So if you do it on a regular taxable basis, Charity Rauschenberg, county auditor every year, would have to determine what that taxable value is and it could change. And for a school, for example, as Ben mentioned, the wealth of the school. So the state, they have a funding formula and this pilot will not go into their formula. So this will be above and beyond of of where it's going to be. And we don't expect any state law changes as as Ben described. So we can we can now look forward to that. And then, so one other thing is there's $7,000 per megawatt that's going to the, be distributed and then $2,000 that just goes to the county general fund. Mm-hmm. So the, the two biggest recipients are 
the school districts, and then the county itself. And uh, just to clarify, when you were talking about the uh, school and how this doesn't add to the evaluation, that actually uh, helps determine the amount of state funding that That's a school correct. district gets. So if this doesn't impact that, yep. it's not going to uh, result in a correlating decrease in state funding. That's correct. So, uh, which uh, obviously is a benefit to the school. So, and, and Ben, you were talking about this, uh, you touched on it uh, uh, earlier, but what is the uh, the benefit uh, then for uh, border and for Gale Head development. It's really about that long-term certainty mm-hmm. um, because this is a infrastructure project that is financed off a 30-year term. And so any financier wants to really understand what the cash flows are because once it's spilt, there's no incremental revenue. It only will ger- generate the revenue of the electricity that it produces. So having that certainty is really important. Now, Border Basin, uh, as some folks may know, is uh, one of two proposed uh, solar projects in the same general area. Uh, is the other developers seeking a similar type of arrangement with county officials? They are. And so it's similar size and project, maybe a little bit bigger than, than Ben's project here, but basically kind of consider them each a million dollars a year. So what the commissioners have to, to determine is a financial decision. It's not a permitting siting decision Mm -hmm. that is left up to the ohio power siting board under ohio current law so the commissioners had to weigh do we do the pilot or not and they chose the pilot and i know that leeward has requested the commissioners to put on their agenda as well a pilot agreement for them so i'd expect in the not too distant future that the commissioners will be uh considering that resolution and the uh pilot uh agreement uh that would presumably be pending for this other project would be along the same lines uh, yes, the, financially? Their, or? Their, their project is a little bit bigger than Ben's project, so their, their numbers would be anywhere from $1.16 million to $1.845 million on an annual basis to the local community. So how does all of this fit into the economic development puzzle? So education, as you know, and workforce development are, are key to what we do. And I'll just use Richard Kirk as an example. Richard is the chairman of the Alliance Board. He's also president of Elveda Construction. And he's passionate about the schools. And he recognizes that these dollars are going to allow them to reinvest. He uses the example all the time that he goes to see his grandkids in an auditorium that is the same auditorium he presented in. Mm-hmm. You know, I went to an old uh, school I went to was there for 100 years too. Yeah. So there's nothing physically wrong with the school. But he wants the school district to have the opportunity to reinvest. And in some school districts, they don't see as much development as other school districts like Liberty Benton and Finley City Schools. Mm -hmm. So we view this as a very good opportunity for them to increase their tax base and and reinvest in their infrastructure. What about these types of of projects? How do they fit into the economic development uh, puzzle? I mean, the the finances aside, how does this all fit in? We talk about energy quite a bit in the past year or so. We've got some of these large projects that are coming in. We had a project in last week that would be a 300 megawatt user, which is basically more power than the entire county consumes right now. So when Ben talks about the hub of industry, we certainly need to increase the amount of power. But a lot of these companies now, they have a sustainability programs that they're looking at. And if we're a community that embraces, we already have one energy on the north side of town, mm-hmm. and then Kevin Gelhead and Leeward that would be coming into town, even though they may not be directly powering like one energy's business model is, it, we can demonstrate that we are growing. We're, we're taking a look at all the different options on the table. So from a from a practical standpoint, it's good to have more power here. And then from a, a perception standpoint of where we're going, what we're doing, we're diversifying. It demonstrates to some of these larger companies that we're taking that serious. You talk about uh, the community embracing, uh, you know, alternative energies and 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 so on. Uh, you have had uh, some. Uh, 
conversations with the uh, community. What has the reaction? Has it been what you uh, expected? Because there have been some concerns. There have been uh, folks uh, with a lot of uh, questions and, and so on about how this will work. Is that pretty typical of what you see when you go to various communities? There's, it is very consistent, some of the questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, people are concerned about what change will mean from them, and mm-hmm. I get that. That's natural. And the the biggest questions are, you know, what's it going to look like? Is it going to make noise? Is it going to pose any risk to me or my family? How is it going to change the floodwaters? Will mm-hmm. it risk impacting my properties? And so and, um, so we've looked for opportunities to engage, and we're going to continue to engage. This uh, pilot is, is a really important approval, and we're grateful for the county commissioners. And we still have a lot of development we'll be, um, to go, and you'll see a lot of us in town continue to engage and answer questions and be available. And we will uh, certainly continue to follow the story. One of two uh, big projects uh, out near Arcadia uh, with the Galehead Development, the Border Basin Solar Project, taking that uh, big step forward with that uh, pilot agreement between the uh, developers and the county uh, with regard to uh, future tax revenue. Again, uh, Galehead Development Project Development Director Ben Metcalf, along with uh, Hancock County Economic Development Director Tim Miley with us this morning. Gentlemen, thank you both for talking. Thanks for having us. Right. Thank you. have a whole crew uh, in the uh, studio now and uh, folks from folks from welcome to a new life uh, we mentioned that the premise of welcome to a new life is that people are more than the mistakes they have made in the past and uh the uh, stories of uh, Welcome to a New Life prove that it is possible to give a second chance to those who want it. So let me go uh, through who all we have here. Uh, Carla Benjamin and uh, Stan Kajawa are here uh, from Welcome to a New Life. One of the uh, the mentors, uh, Cliff Height, whom you you might know, you might recognize the name. Uh, Cliff is uh, actually one of the men, uh, mentors uh, for the uh, organization. And Chris is over here. He is one of the mentees uh, who has a uh, story to share. First of all, Stan, let me start with you. How did you come up with this uh, idea for this uh, organization? You've been around for how how Ages. long is this now? I'll I tell you what. Uh, of course, uh, I, I moved to Florida back in 2009, and then unfortunately my wife passed away, and mm-hmm. I came back in uh, uh, 2015. had an opportunity to go back into the jail like I did before, and feeding some of the inmates, uh, mm-hmm. in fact, all the inmates, yeah. a couple times a year. So um, I had the opportunity to spend time uh, with some volunteers from my church and from my dealership uh, that went with me mm-hmm. on those occasions. And um, so uh, we had the opportunity to go ahead and and um, just, just look at the situation there with these individuals. Mm-hmm. And, you know, every one that we gave a plate to, and we were doing hot dogs and hamburgers and things like that, mm-hmm. the food was a little bit better on our side than <laughs> at the, I'm sure uh, Chris can attest to that. But, you know, uh, bottom line, it was that everyone said thank you, and they appreciated just that. Mm-hmm. Well, when I came back, I had the opportunity through my local church, St. Mike's, here in town, at, at, uh, uh, contacted me about... Uh, a program that they would like to funding and it was to do with the jail so that's why i got involved in it because mm-hmm. i knew my past experience of being connected with the jail yeah. when i went there and we put on the same pro, uh, program and i saw the opportunity 
of of what maybe we could do something better in our community mm -hmm. so that's exactly how it started and then i saw a gentleman walking out from the jail with his bag of clothes and asking him where where are you going yeah he was what do homeless. you do now he's homeless yeah he had no job no family to go to mm -hmm. for support mm -hmm. and uh, so that's exactly and then that's the day that it probably happened then i got yeah. a hold of a good friend of mine uh puck roll and puck and i we went for d uh, dinner and i i brought up this this idea and he jumped on it like you know you you would believe he yeah. says you know i'll go ahead and help you and we'll be partners yeah. so our, you know co-founded it and that's what happened we yeah. did it and then we we had over 200 in, in, individu individuals that we met with in our community and they all supported us yeah so uh, because the idea of uh, incarceration at any level is uh, hopefully uh, reform you you know uh, change behaviors and and do things better the next time around and carla explain how the the program works absolutely well first of all thank you for letting us be a part of the show this morning um, our mission is to provide mentorship and resources for individuals that are part of the Hancock County criminal justice system mm -hmm. to, so that they could live a crime-free, drug-free life and productive life within our community. So how this works is we're connecting them with wonderful mentors in our community to help them engage, help them re-enter, reduce recidivism, and really helping our community and helping them. And so hopefully, long-term breaking the cycle not only for themselves yeah. but for their families uh, moving forward and very good uh on getting that word right recidivism because i i can never get that one right so i'll <laughs> let you say it instead cliff talk a little bit about how you got uh, involved uh, in this program how and, and why you got involved well i i'm not sure we're allowed to do advertising where i was i was at the dark horse and bumped into puck and stan and <laughs> and they talked to me about it and uh and especially Puck, and he said, "This is something I want you to think about." But it was, it was, I was tricked into it accidentally by <laughs> our pastor Dan Metzger. Mm -hmm. um, I met Chris here at church, and he said, "You know, this is something you ought to do. This is right up your alley. You know, you're an old coach, and this is something you could do." Mm -hmm. And so he said, "And I can't bring Chris to church on Sundays. Could you?" I mean, he set me up. It was great, <laughs> and and so I started bringing Chris to church, and all of a sudden, Carlos starts talking to me, and it's all of a sudden I, you know, so I got trained a little bit, not probably enough, but I got trained a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Chris and I are now buddies. You know, the, I mean, we're together quite a bit. So, uh, Chris, talk a little bit about uh, you know, share some of your story and how you got connected uh, with uh, Welcome to a New Life. Well, like they said, I've been in and out of trouble quite a bit mm -hmm. in the past, and I just got to the point where I was tired, mm -hmm. and I met with. It used to be uh, Century Health, but now it's FRC. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, a counselor there and really a friend Yeah, and I'd been talking to her about some of the things that were going to go on when I got out and she set me up with Carla and Dan Metzger mm -hmm. the pastor and it just started from there and then Puck and Stan would come in occasionally and really they put the people in place and I hit the ground running. And yeah. Now, did it did it click right away uh, for for you? Did this uh, did this program you know sort of resonate right away, or did it take uh, a little a little time to kind of adjust uh, to that kind of new way of thinking? I guess. No, I I, I kind of took to it, but like I said, I was tired. 
Yeah. I knew what I wanted, mm-hmm. and they had the resources and the people in place, and it just helped me. It was a stepping stone towards the things that I was looking to achieve already. Mm-hmm. And now, where are you today? Um, I'm doing great. I'm working. Um, I live in a sober living home over there on uh, That's awesome. Blanchard and Melrose. That's awesome. Um, like Cliff's my mentor, Dan's my mentor. I talk to them almost weekly, if not bi-weekly. They take me out to lunch. I'm just doing the things that I need to be doing. Well, that's awesome. Can you take me out to lunch? No, but I, you can, he has to explain <laughs> further. He, he is into Jamocha shakes, and I have to get him a Jamocha shake every time I'm with him. And he just guzzles them down. And if we travel to the other end of well, town... Well, good for you, Chris. Yeah, but then we come back, he wants another one. They got, he's, he's, There's worse things to be a good <laughs> That's very true. Cliff, Cliff, talk about what what you get out of of this. Well, I understand people needing a second chance. You know, I've made some mistakes in my life, and Mm -hmm. we're all aware of that, I guess, sometimes publicly. But it's not just that. It's, 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 I feel like I'm coaching again. You know, the best part of coaching was always trying to help a student athlete better themselves. Mm-hmm. And this is what I get to see and witness with Chris. And it's, yeah. it's just, and he's fun to be around. And we have a lot of stories back and forth. And, and he's into sports, which really helped. Yeah. You know, so we can watch ball games together and talk about whichever team we want to talk about. He's up on everything. And so that's kind of fun, too. Does he make you root for Kentucky? <laughs> no. No. Yes, I okay. do. All right. Yes, I, I, I just I want to make sure that, that you're not getting you know taken advantage of there. I do know what's going on, though. He gives me a play-by-play. <laughs> But I don't root for that. So, okay. All right. That's good. That's good. Stan, obviously, this is a, uh, a program that's done a lot of I mean, there are uh, success stories. We go on and on. doesn't always work. But when it does, it's got to be tremendously rewarding. It, it is. You know, it's uh, very rewarding. And I think it's rewarding for for uh, the, the mentors and the, and the mentees. Mm-hmm. In fact, we know that mentee terminology that we use, you know. Yeah, I I really look at it as, as a friendship that I have with these mentees mm-hmm. and the mentors, and and uh, and that's those things last forever. But it's good to see people changing their lives. And I also want to mention one thing that we we have to say thank you to our donors because we had just had a, a great campaign here, and we still need some help in those some final dollars and so forth before the end of the year but you know those are the people too that we have to thank because of, yeah. of their support absolutely uh carla let me uh, ask you here real quickly uh you are uh, in need of as stan was saying if, if folks want to contribute uh, to the cause uh obviously that is uh, more than welcome and you are also the program is only as strong as the mentors that you were able to uh, recruit so if somebody is interested how do they go about doing that if someone is interested in being a mentor, they could reach out to me at director at welcometonewlife.org. Or if they want, it's easier for them to just look on our website. There is a tab that they could find for mentorship. Or they could feel free to give me a call at 419-455-6082. Um, again, one of the biggest things that Stan mentioned just a little bit ago is that as you become part of Welcome to New Life, you're, you're a part of a community. And so we want everybody to understand that Everyone deserves hope and a second chance. Many times it's more chances. It's not just the second chance. It's not your fourth chance. It might not be your 10th chance. So we believe in more chances, giving individuals that hope and, a, and you know, an opportunity to be a part of a family um, of support. 
We've got the uh, website linked up at our webpage for uh, Welcome to a New Life. You want to learn more about the program, perhaps uh, become a mentor yourself. Uh, check it out online. And uh, guys, thanks uh, thanks to all of you for uh, for dropping by this morning, sharing the stories, uh, success stories. Welcome to a New Life. We appreciate it. This morning, our ongoing Keeping the Faith series, uh, Obedience Over Hustle. It is, uh, we all are are guilty of getting caught up in this from time to time, the uh, so-called hustle of life, Uh, trying to get ahead in business and in life. Gotta hustle, gotta hustle, because the opportunities come to those who hustle. Problem is that that hustle often leaves us drained and unfulfilled. The fear of missing out has uh, led to so many into unnecessary busyness, uh, which can take its toll on relationships, marriages, families, all in the pursuit of the elusive more. We want more. But is it really worth it? John Clemens reports this morning, Keeping the Faith. Melinda Fuller offers a beautifully compelling case for an obedient heart in her book, Obedience over hustle. This girl boss hustling, achieve your big dreams at any cost, just wore me out. And I kind of got exhausted on that and started sharing about how those messages made me feel. And it really resonated with people. The book really was not even a thought. It was just an idea that grew out of a phone conversation. Tired of the hustle mentality, Fuller made the life-changing decision to trust and to obey God and quit her job. I had gotten to a place where I felt like God was asking me to lay something down, and that ended up being my job, which was a huge leap of faith and a big risk at the time. I kind of got sucked into this hustle mentality, this idea that unless you're doing a lot of things, then your life no longer has meaning or purpose. All of my significance during the day got wrapped up into how loud my voice could be instead of how intentional I was with my time. Fuller writes in her book, Obedience Over Hustle, published by Shiloh Run Press, that instead of trying to accomplish everything, We should concentrate on what the Lord is asking us to do. Regardless of your age or stage or season of life, the message is predominant in our culture. Whether you have kids or whether you are a millennial and just graduating college, whatever it is, it's really a heart issue. Not necessarily about profession. It's about this inner striving And our need to just quiet our minds and focus on what is it that the Lord's asking us to really do instead of trying to accomplish everything. Obedience Over Hustle is a book that questions all of us, what have we sacrificed on the altar of our big ideas? We tend to have great ideas or big dreams, and we start off really, really well. And then at some point, we start sacrificing things on the altar of our big idea or our dream or our job or career, ministry, whatever that looks like for us. And the sacrifices tend to be our families and other relationships instead of 
continuing to work in partnership with the Lord. I'm going to do as you lead me to do instead of trying to figure it all out on my own. Fuller writes that life should not be our pursuit of purpose. We've traded our pursuit of Jesus with the pursuit of our purpose. And our significance of our life is wrapped up in how busy we are and how many things that we can check off our to-do list in a day instead of knowing that my identity is in the Lord and not what I can do for Him. He's not asking me to produce things or to be able to check things off my checklist. Like, He wants time with me. He wants relationship with me. And He wants me to be in good relationship with other people as well. God desires to be a part of our lives in obedience. Obedience for me, the way I've written the book, is we tend to think of involving God in the conversations of our life or the decisions in our life that we would deem the major things. And really, God wants us to be obedient and to have Him involved in the conversation in all parts of our life, all of our relationships and the things that take us through the day-to-day in the anonymous and the really mundane things as well, not just when we're in front of people, but also in, in the day-to-day. Fuller writes in Obedience Over Hustle, that it's okay to say no. We feel like we have to say yes to everything and then we get exhausted and then we are just doing things out of obligation. And if we know what it is that we're supposed to give our time and our energy to, then it's really easy for us to say no to other things and no, I don't have time for that or no, my budget doesn't allow for that because we're being obedient to the few yeses that the Lord wants of us. The theme of obedience over hustle comes right out of the Word of God. The theme verse for the whole book is Luke twenty two forty two, where Jesus is kneeling in the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus, like God the Son, the one who spoke all of existence into being at the very beginning, he's the one kneeling in a posture of humility and saying to God, his Father, not my will, but yours be done. And so the question I ask to readers is, if Jesus can do that, how more quickly should I be able to obey? Here's how to get in touch with Melinda Fuller, author of the book, Obedience Over Hustle. Melinda Fuller is my website address or obedienceoverhustle.com. And then I'm on all the major social media platforms, melinda.fuller. This is John Clemens reporting. Boy, how many of us can see ourselves in what she's talking about there, getting caught up in the hustle of trying to get ahead in business and in life, not being able to say no, you end up stretched so thin, there's no time for what's really important, really gives you a reset and putting things into proper perspective, Obedience Over Hustle is the name of the book, and we've got it linked up at our webpage. Go to goodmornings.net, keeping the faith this morning. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Today's update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. Um, <laughs> we had some uh, really strange uh, stories in the uh, broken... Well, that's what the broken news is all about. But today, especially, some strange stories. Uh, It seems there is a fine line between art and theft. A Danish artist who was loaned $85,000 by the Knudsen Museum of Modern Art uh, there in uh, Denmark. Uh, They commissioned a pair of artworks for $85,000. So the artist instead turns turns in two empty frames <laughs> and, and he titled his work Take the Money and Run. 
I love it. The director of the museum, Lassa Anderson, says the money was uh, given to artist Jans Hanning to recreate two of his earlier works that featured cash in a frame. Uh, But that's not what they got. Uh, Mr. Anderson says the officials are now concerned that uh, Mr. Hanning will not stick to his agreement and return the cash to the museum by the middle of January of next year when the exhibit is scheduled to close. (laughs) Mr. Hanning tells uh, Danish uh, broadcasters, of course I will not pay it back. The work is (laughs) that I took the money and I will not get it back. That's why it's called Take the Money and Run. (laughs) Of course I'm not giving it back. (laughs) Take the money and run. I love it. Oh, goodness. Speaking of uh, taking things, uh, this is uh, from Atlanta, Georgia. A man attempting to steal cars like a medieval bandit uh, got a taste of the 21st century uh, for his troubles. Local news reports that a 29-year-old man was allegedly running around the Atlanta area trying to carjack uh, some automobiles. His weapon of choice, a bow and arrow. Uh, The effort worked on at least one woman who did surrender her vehicle, and authorities were on the case. Police obtained a description of the thief, saying he attempted to carjack two other people before actually uh, finding his mark. Uh, The uh, cops gave pursuit. The perp lost control of the stolen vehicle during the chase and crashed. Unfortunately, in his effort to escape on foot, he threatened to fire arrows at the police, (laughs) according to the Georgia Bureau of Investigation. After the suspect refused to drop his weapon and pointed away from the troopers, uh, things escalated and a police officer exchanged fire. The car thief um, was was struck. He was taken to the hospital. Uh, I think you will be uh, okay. I think you will recover. But uh, what is that? Don't bring a bow and arrow to a gunfight or something along those lines. Uh, the officer involved shooting and the car theft are being separately investigated. But that's crazy. They're trying to carjack people with a bow and arrow. Really weird. A Florida woman recently arrested after being found in the back of a Jeep without any clothes on. Now, that is that's one thing to be in the back of a vehicle without any clothes on. It is taking it to an entirely new level when it is not your vehicle. <laughs> the the Jeep in question was located at a car dealership in Pensacola, Florida. <laughs> It's one thing if you're naked in the back of your own vehicle. When you're naked in the back of a vehicle on a car lot, that's uh, something else entirely. According to police report, the woman, identified as 37-year-old Alexis King, was found by a customer who then notified management, who instructed Ms. King to get dressed and exit the vehicle immediately. She was arrested and charged with burglary, criminal mischief, and unlawful exposure. (laughs) She's being held on... uh, $7,000 bond. (laughs) The local slammer. (laughs) Uh, Let's see. What else is uh, going on here in the back to Atlanta, where the the Atlanta Police Department, this I, I really chuckled when I saw this story. The Atlanta Police Department says a herd of goats belonging to the business. Get your goat. Has been, em- uh, has been employed to clear overgrowth from outside a local grocery store in uh, 
nearby Buckhead, Georgia. The goats escaped from the electric fence, which was keeping them contained yesterday. The owner of Get Your Goats said about 40 of the animals plus three herding dogs escaped. (laughs) That's what I thought was funny. Not only did the goats escape, but the dogs, they're supposed to herd the goats and keep them... (laughs) Keep them contained. They also escaped. (laughs) I'm thinking maybe you need new dogs. (laughs) Better understand what their job is. Uh, Police and bystanders all helped round up the goats and the dogs. Animal control officers gave the animals a lift back to get your goats. (laughs) Maybe work on training those dogs uh, a little bit better. And uh, how about this in the broken news? You know, this is the time of the year for haunted house attractions, which are supposed to be good, clean, safe fun. A 22-year-old scare actor, Christopher Pogazelski, was trying to scare people at the entrance of a haunted house attraction in Berea called Seven Floors of Hell. It's located at the Cuyahoga County Fairgrounds. Uh, Earlier this month, when an 11-year-old boy... And his friend approached the uh, uh, this uh, scare actor, Mr. Pogazelski, and said, that's fake. I'm not scared. Now, if you've ever you know, been a volunteer like a haunted attraction, you know, kids sometimes do that. That's fake. I'm not scared. So Mr. Pogazelski decided to take it up to a whole new level. And he started stabbing the ground around the boy's feet with a knife. Uh, unfortunately, he accidentally pierced one of the boy's big toes through his shoes. The cut was about a third of an inch long. The boy was given first aid, and Mr. Pogazelski was very apologetic and stayed with the boy the entire time. Still, uh, he has been fired from his job as he was only supposed to be using prop weapons made of rubber and foam, and he had brought in a real knife uh, of his own volition, the... Uh, Mother of the boy has decided to pursue charges, and uh, the uh, scare actor has been charged with negligent assault. (laughs) Trying to take it to a whole new level made it a little too real. There you go. Uh, That is uh, today's broken news report. This update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Road work, detours, traffic backups, and delays, it can get a little frustrating and confusing, but we can help keep you ahead of the game. This is WFIN News Director Matt Demchek. Just check out the Traffic Center at WFIN.com and you'll know where the trouble spots are in Findlay and Hancock County. Download Waze, use it whenever you're driving, and join our drive team to help inform others of traffic issues. The WFIN Traffic Center, powered by Waze, and available at WFIN.com. your daily download the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives you know this year uh, the holiday season uh, will maybe look a little bit more like normal uh, as compared to last year americans are for the moment 
free to travel to their loved ones' homes this holiday season, as opposed to lockdowns uh, last year and and all of that that kind of made the holidays uh, look very, very different. But a new survey suggests that maybe we don't want to travel to our loved ones' homes this holiday. Maybe we'd just rather take a vacation instead. According to a new poll, uh, 59% of the 2,000 Americans surveyed said that they would rather embark on a getaway than going over the river and through the woods to celebrate the traditional family holiday. (laughs) We'd just rather take a vacation. (laughs) What does that say about how we feel about families, Um, about our families? Of those who were planning uh, to to take a vacation over the holiday season as opposed to visiting family, 73% say they will be making their vacation arrangements this month. Well, uh, in the month of October, I should say this month. We're still in September. Uh, 73% say they'll be making their vacation arrangements by October, and 75% of those are planning to spend more than they ever have before to get away. Uh, we're going all out. This eagerness to spend is also spreading to planned gift giving, which is kind of interesting. Uh, 54% of those respondents in the survey say they plan to spend more on experiences like traveling or attending and hosting parties rather than physical gifts during the holiday season. The survey shows significant others on gift givers list could receive a gift that is nearly $400, which is well above the average for anyone on the list. But the significant other is the wife, girlfriend, husband, boyfriend, whatever might have it as significant others. However, that you define that in your relationship. Uh, each immediate family member could see $300 spent on them. So for your immediate family members, you're. Uh, kids and and so on survey also says americans plan to give experience gifts this year we've talked about that uh, on the program concert tickets vacation vouchers rather than the usual stocking stuffers and speaking of gift giving this poll finds that 29 percent of those in the survey plan to give electronics to their loved ones 25 percent clothing 26 percent vacations to those on their lists And when it comes to what Americans hope to get this year, you're starting your Christmas shopping early, 27% say they hope to receive a travel or hotel package to be used on a vacation. 26% are looking for new clothes. 24% would like concert or sports tickets from their loved ones. So kind of interesting. But again, the fact that people can travel, don't necessarily want to see their families, I thought is very telling. Well, the American Red Cross is reporting now that they are once again experiencing an emergency blood and platelet shortage. Donor turnout has reached its lowest point yet this year. And in recent weeks, the National Blood Inventory has had less than a single day's supply of certain blood types. Dr. Baya Lasky is medical director at the American Red Cross. Dr. Lasky, why the shortage? Yes, thank you for featuring this most important issue. We are now facing an emergency shortage of blood and platelets. The fall is usually a time when we start to make up for summer shortages. And under normal circumstances, we are collecting at high schools, colleges, sporting events, businesses. A lot of those places have been closed. Maybe they're starting to open again. And we've had to shift a lot. But since August, 
blood donor turnout has decreased by about 10%. And so, of course, we've been in the middle of a new surge in COVID cases. Unfortunately, individuals are heading back to in-person learning. Schools and businesses may be resuming normal activities. A variety of, of conditions that have resulted in the Red Cross just not experiencing the normal rebound that we usually see at this time. So we are in need of collecting an additional 10,000 units of blood products each week over the next month to recover the blood supply in order to meet the hospital and patient needs. Now, certainly there have been some unique circumstances over the last year to 18 months, which has contributed to this uh, situation that we are dealing with now. But I can also hear some people saying, well, here we go again. It seems we are often talking about a blood shortage, even absent a pandemic. Is is there a persistent shortcoming or, or something inherently within the system that, that leads to so many of these similar alerts? Well, you're, you're absolutely right. We do have an ongoing need. We have been particularly impacted by the changing scene brought by the pandemic. But, you know, what, what people may not realize is that blood transfusions are absolutely essential to healthcare. There are so many reasons why uh, individuals may need blood transfusions, such as trauma, burn patients, those experiencing gastrointestinal bleeding, postpartum hemorrhage, cardiac surgeries, organ transplants, these are all ongoing. These, these things do not take a pause at any time, and especially during the pandemic, yeah. um, you know, nothing has, has slowed down in terms of the demand. Um, and additionally, cancer patients and individuals with blood disorders such as sickle cell disease um, have chronic transfusion needs, sometimes for life. So, as we mentioned in recent weeks, the reserve has dipped below even a single day's supply in some cases. What is a single day's supply? Kind of put some context on that. How much do you need and what is the impact when that need can't be met? Sure. We can distribute around twelve to 15,000 uh, units of red cells per day and about 3,000 units of platelets a day. So, that's you know, it varies depending on the time of year and it depends on, you know, what's going on around the country. Mm -hmm. uh, we do have a national inventory, so we, we share blood. So, you know, certain areas may be impacted due to weather or, or natural disasters. Um, so we're constantly having to shift our inventory. Um, but really, the demand is just as strong as it has ever been. And with the constantly shifting landscape uh, that, that COVID has created, it has just been more challenging for us to be continually pivoting to, to maintain the, the supply to meet that demand. And with respect to the pandemic, I, I, I know that you get this uh, question quite often. Is it safe to give blood? Yes, it's a great question. So the Red Cross has implemented safety measures uh, since the very beginning of the pandemic in accordance with CDC guidelines to ensure the safest environment possible. We require donors and staff to wear masks regardless of their vaccination status. And they must be healthy and well at our donation sites. We do perform health screening to ensure this. We encourage people to make appointments to manage the flow of donors to avoid crowds. We've implemented appropriate distancing between our donor beds to ensure that uh, it's, it's the safest experience possible. And uh, I do want to emphasize that individuals who have received the COVID vaccine are still eligible to donate blood and platelets. 
as are those who may not have yet? Absolutely. Both vaccinated or unvaccinated are eligible to donate. Again, we just ask people are healthy and well when they come in to donate. And um, as you as you mentioned, we've talked about this before. Um, it, I guess it it makes sense when you when you think about it medically. But uh, initially, you may think, uh, golly, it's hard to believe that there's not some sort of artificial uh, form of blood, but it is what it is. And there is no uh, other uh, alternative but to have blood for uh, transfusions into other human beings. Are there uh, certain blood types that are more needed than others? You're absolutely right. Blood cannot be manufactured or stockpiled. So we absolutely depend on the kindness and generosity of our blood donors Uh, We are in greater need for type O blood, for which we have less than half a day supply. Uh, Ideally, we would have a five-day supply. So we're Mm. critically below what we would need um, under normal circumstances. Type O negative is considered universal when it's necessary for emergency transfusions. And then O positive is nearly universal, and it's the most commonly transfused blood type. And then we're also always in need of platelets of any blood type. Yeah, the the need is pretty much across the board. Uh, so how do folks help out uh, and help uh, alleviate this emergency? We would encourage anyone who is healthy and potentially eligible to visit our website at redcrossblood.org. Uh, we have a, a donor app, Red Cross Blood Donor App, or call 1-800-RED-CROSS to learn more about the donation process, eligibility criteria, and to make an appointment. So whether anyone has ever donated before, if it's been a while, never, please consider donating. You are truly saving a life when you roll up your sleeve. Dr. Baya Lasky, Medical Director for the American Red Cross with us this morning. Dr. Lasky, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thank you for your time. And that will finish up our podcast for today. Thanks to all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. Remember, you can get more information on all of the topics that we talk about each day on the show at our webpage. And that, of course, is goodmornings.net. Coming up tomorrow, we'll circle back to the story we were originally planning on bringing you this morning. Uh, As expected, Ohio's redistricting maps are facing a court challenge, and there is more at stake than just the future makeup of the state legislature. Plus, on tomorrow's show, details on the Finley Municipal Court's 2021 Safe Surrender Day. So until tomorrow morning, that is good mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. Catch you back here tomorrow.